Uh, Josh, thank you for the platform tonight. I appreciate it, man. Um, yeah, so my name is Dan Delgado. Uh, I still consider myself a pretty, pretty new real estate investor. You got the camera? Okay. Uh, I consider myself a pretty new real estate investor still. Um, I'm only about three years into it. And um, Josh thought it'd be a good idea for me to tell my story. I, I kind of feel like, well, how many people here, I saw who's the first time, who hasn't done a deal yet? Just raise your hand. And I'm guessing you're, you're looking for them and you're wanting to do them, right? So you guys, you know, I think the value that I can add for you, thank you, would be, you know, uh, more so just some, some advice. And, you know, hopefully I can help you get over that hump and, and get that first deal out of the way. Because uh, not too long ago, I was in your shoes too. So, uh, let's see if this works, maybe. No? There we go. All right, so I was raised in the Cypress Hills projects of housing projects of Brooklyn, New York, um, as you can probably, and this is, a, this is East New York. It's not the East New York of today. This is East New York of 80s and 90s. Um, but yeah, back in the day, uh, it was you know, pretty violent. There was a lot of drugs, uh, a, lot of, a lot of violence, um, tons of poverty. Um, and so growing up, uh, I knew two families that owned houses, um, that even lived in houses. Everything else was like some kind of apartment building or some kind of housing project. So it was never anything like, like if I could compare it, it'd be like today me thinking of like walking barefoot on Mars. Like it's not even something you think about because it doesn't even seem like a reality or even like something that could ever happen because you're too busy just trying to kind of survive your day-to-day -day stuff and you know not get killed. And so, uh, when I was a junior in high school, my family moved out to Lincoln, Nebraska. And people always ask, why'd you move to Lincoln from Brooklyn? Um, I always tell people it was witness protection, but it's just a joke. Uh, it's actually a really long, boring story, so I wouldn't even bother. But we moved here. And so um, I put graduated from UNK, but that was only like five years ago. I, I was in college for like 10 years. I originally went to school to be a firefighter. And um, I got married at 19, and right when I was about to graduate, my ex-wife and I were about to get divorced. And if anybody knows, um, like a firefighter's schedule, it's you know 24 hours on, 24 hours off. And you know, talking to my attorney, he's basically like, if you want to keep your daughter part or half the time, like like you guys are agreeing on, you can't do that as a firefighter. So I gave that up. I finished the degree, but um, I went back to school for for business and marketing. And it took me like eight years to get a four-year degree, something like that, but I got it done. Uh, like I said, I started investing in, in 2019 with the help of, I like to call him my sugar daddy, Josh. <laughs> he hates it. But uh, uh, <laughs> I'm a family guy. I've got my lovely wife, uh, Stephanie, who couldn't be here tonight because we have a three-month-old baby uh, at home. Uh, so we've got uh, Logan, who's three months, Lyndon, who's two years, and my daughter, Lily, who's uh, 14. So... There's a theme there with the L names. I don't know how we kind of got on that, but I might need you to do this, Josh. Oh, there we go. So with my career, by the age of 25, I had worked 17 jobs. I just did the math on that last night. Um, clearly, I'm not a good employee. Uh, I got fired from pretty much most of those. Uh, at 25, I started working for um, Dell when they opened up their office here in Lincoln. They uh, were actually looking to hire people for their, uh, basically they were outsourcing IT for other companies that can't afford it themselves. They didn't care if you had IT experience, they just wanted to fill a seat and hopefully they train you and 
you know, IT is very secure and I thought I liked it at the time, but I really didn't. Uh, but I kind of just stuck with it and I was there for several years and then I moved over to uh, Nebraska Book Company and did support for them. Then I left there and I started with a startup here in Lincoln called uh, Resource Pro. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of them, uh, but they're an insurance BPO out of New York City. I only took the job because it required frequent travel to New York. And so it was actually pretty good for me. I was their first hire here. And I put on there that I got screwed over by HR, which, um, I mean, I guess I did, but like, uh, so that's kind of really how my journey started into entrepreneurship. I, uh, being uh, in charge of IT, we had two corporate apartments downtown and we had a lot of people visiting from all around the country and China and India. And so they would visit for several months at once. And by the time they would leave, these apartments would just be a huge mess. And so I'd have to go and like reset passwords and do all sorts of stuff every time there was a turnover there. And I noticed that these apartments were like super dirty every time people would leave. And somehow I found out like what we were paying cleaners to clean this place, to clean these apartments out. And uh, I figured out that the head of HR for the Lincoln location, um, she was in charge of kind of managing that whole process. And so I'm thinking like, okay, well, cool. I can make some extra money. I'm Hispanic. I know how to clean a freaking place, you know? And so like, uh, I was like, let me start this little business. And so I asked her, I was like, hey, um, is it cool if I just clean these and you guys just pay me to do them? Because I'm there all the time anyway. And she's like, oh yeah, that'd be great. But you know, you have to do it all legit. You need to have an LLC. You need to invoice us. It has to be all separate from you as an employee. I'm like, great. And then me being me, I go out and I, I, I design a logo. I create a website. I have all these marketing assets printed up. I get t-shirts. I pay an attorney to do an LLC. And so it took like a month to get all this stuff done. And I don't know how much money, but I come back about when I'm done and I'm like, hey, I'm ready, let's, let's do this. And she goes, oh, sorry, I forgot to tell you, uh, it's a conflict of interest, we're not gonna be able to do that. I'm like, well, you're an asshole because you could have told me this three, month, three weeks ago. And so um, I was just kind of like, well, screw you guys, I'm gonna do this anyway. And so um, I started trying to figure out like, okay, I don't know anything about running a business, entrepreneurship and even financial literacy is not something that runs in my family a lot or at all. And so I read the Purple Bible. It's uh, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And everybody has read that here, right? Pretty much, I'm guessing. And so um, if you haven't, do it. But um, I, uh, that book was life-changing for me. And uh, more so because that poor dad in that book was, is my dad. Like, to the T, he is my dad. And so I guess for me, I've always taken my dad as an example in that sense financially as someone that I don't want to be and so um, it, it hit home for me pretty pretty hard and so it really motivated me to kind of find out more and that that book is uh is centered on on real estate obviously so uh, I started learning about it and I was like well this is really something cool that I think I could really get into um, at one point one summer I think like a little bit after high school I have a buddy that he had a remodeling business and I just kind of wanted to learn how to do that stuff. And I worked for free for him for a summer as long as he kind of taught me what he was doing. And so I figured I could use those skills to flip houses and get rentals and all that stuff. But um, so I decided I wanted to start doing some real estate investing. Um, and I sought out mentorships, which I've always felt and I still feel that that is a very important uh, piece of the puzzle if you want to be successful. Um, I had no luck. So uh, I was coming to this meetup 
for six months and I never talked to anybody. I was just fly on the wall. I was just kind of observing, seeing who's who and trying to just get the balls to like do something, but it took forever. And so uh, there was a, a post that I put in the group at one point saying like, hey, I'm super handy. If anyone just lets me follow them around, I'll, I'll do whatever the hell you want me to do. I just kind of want to learn what you guys are doing. And it was like, nobody liked it, like, or helped or DM me or nothing. And so I'd been, uh, I'd been listening to a podcast and uh, they, they'd been talking about like a similar type of situation where like, you know, when you're, when you're trying to get mentorship and you're trying to get someone to help you out, like, what are you bringing to the table? And so I kind of realized that anybody that would be worth mentoring me probably already has systems and people in place that would do these things for them. If anything, I'd probably slow them down. You can't just go into a crew and just start doing stuff because you're going to just slow them down. And so I realized, okay, well, I'm not really offering anything of value. Um, when I was working for Nebraska Book Company, I had to travel every few weeks. And so I got into photography and then that kind of like transitioned into like a hobbyist videographer. And I'm kind of like a marketing junkie. And so I realized, okay, actually it was one of Josh's videos that prompted me to do this because uh, he had a, a video with, with Aaron Impens where they were talking about like breaking down a deal or something like that. And it was just so horribly made and produced that I was just like, God, I got to help these guys. Like I, I, can, I can help them do it better. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to put out a post and be like, hey, here's an example of like a good video in, in a sense of like, here's the great audio. Here's it's not grainy. Don't use a whiteboard ever on video. It looks horrible. Like all these sort of things. And here's an example of a bad one. I didn't use yours, but it was similar. I probably should have. <laughs> but, uh, but I get the point of what they're trying to make, you know. Sometimes the content is there and it's really awesome to have it, but if the delivery isn't good, then you lose credibility with people. And so that's where I felt I could help these guys out. So anyway, so I put this post together and it took me like almost a day to actually like post it because I just kind of felt like nervous. I'm like, oh my God, there's attention on me, you know? And so it's weird. And so I posted it and within like 10 minutes, I had like 40 people message me. And um, I had a lot of lunches, a lot of coffees and all that stuff. And you know, out of that, uh, I, I have established some really great relationships with people. But more importantly, you know, I was able to get out of my shell and really start um, developing that other skill set that I have, which is the video production type stuff. But um, so I kind of, I would like to say that I weaseled my way into this group by offering free video and photos and stuff because that's what I could offer at the time. And it's obviously paid off, but that's what I did. Um, and when I did that, the the term was coined by was it Perry Marshall or whoever his name is that wrote the 8020 uh principle on sales and marketing if anyone who's read that there's a story that he talks about in the book that's called uh, racking the shotgun and i have a little video it's like two and a half minutes long it's super short but he explains it better than i can um so i don't is there audio on this when i do that you know let's see Oh, there's no audio, damn it. Okay, anyway, he's being, you wanna try it? Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Jace. Let me see if I can go back here. Let me know when you're ready. Maybe just turn all those up. 
all those like knobs right there, the sliders. That's okay. I can explain it. Yeah. So basically, what the author's talking about in the uh, thanks anyway, man. What the author's talking about is how he was uh, on a trip to Vegas with a friend of his, and his friend was trying to make a point of how do you find out who's paying attention? And so he called it racking the shotgun. Like, well, why would you call it that? So they went to this sketchy place, a sketchy strip club in Vegas. And his friend brought in a sawed-off shotgun to the strip club, like under his coat or jacket or whatever. And they were just sitting there enjoying the scenery, I guess. And uh, as the night was going on, what his buddy did was just, he just pumped that shotgun. While the music was going, while the girls were dancing, while everyone was drinking, he pumped that shotgun. And but he, before he did it, he told Perry, he's like, pay attention to who is paying attention, basically. And as he did that, only a handful of people turned around. Because some people were street smart enough to know what that sound was. And hey, I'm in danger. I should probably start paying attention to what's going on. So he uses that analogy. Well, it's not just a story, but he uses that as an example to figure out like who's paying attention. And so by me putting that post out, that was me, you know, racking the shotgun in a sense, trying to see, you know, who's paying attention. Um, and Josh was paying attention. So thanks. Uh, um, so yeah, so I got in uh, communication with a lot of people. I uh, I formed a kind of an idea of what I wanted to do, um, and I decided that I was going to focus on pre foreclosures. To me, they were the lowest hanging fruit. Um, the reason for that has anyone done pre foreclosures here? Yeah, they're 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 pretty pretty nice. The reason for that is. Uh, their public information that's available to you. So what I did is, having a background in IT, I contacted the uh, county assessor office, and I was like, hey, I want to find these, this, these, uh, this data every time it comes out. How do I go about doing that? So they created me a, a sign-in to the county website. And so I used one of our program, I paid them, I paid one of our programmers to write code that would actually scrub that website every night at midnight for keywords of uh, uh, oh shoot, what is it called? Uh, the default, uh, notice the default, thank you. Notice the default, um, if anyone doesn't know, is basically what the, the lender sends to the county and to the borrower. By law, they have to send that when they're going to start the foreclosure process. The county puts that on the records for the house, and so I had them look for that. So every morning I get to work, I had a spreadsheet. It couldn't put the data on there because it wasn't smart enough to read the actual PDF but it would give me a link. And basically every morning I would see you know, the new links, so I would know, okay, now I can go in there and there's gonna be new ones. And so um, I would use that to, to basically, that was my whole lead source, like that's all I used. And so it worked out pretty well. I think it was a Wednesday of whatever, March I think, it was a Wednesday. I got my first house under contract from that. Then the following Wednesday, I got another house under contract. And the following Wednesday, I got another house under contract. And I was like, this is not like how it's gonna be. I know that, so I'm gonna like really enjoy it. But you know, taking three on my first time was really, really stressful. Um, but it was, it was definitely working for me. Um, so I formed a partnership. And the partnership was, hey, you bring the money, I will do the work, and we'll split the profits. Uh, our first property, uh, real quick, sorry, was a guy that actually worked for the, um, he was a, a correctional officer 
or he worked for the prison, and so he had to go out of town, came back home a day early. His wife didn't know he was going to be in town early. He walked in on some stuff, left, never came back, and he sold us the house for like to the penny what he owed on it because he let it, that was like in uh, December the year before, so it had been already in, in the pre-foreclosure process. So uh, he sold us the house. I want to say it was like at 133, and then I put seven weeks and like $4,000 worth of materials to just do some updates on my credit card. And we sold the house for 175, like the same day that I listed it. And so I was like, Jesus, like this is easy. I can do this all day. Um, and so, uh, you know, they, they kind of, those, those three actually worked out pretty well. They were all like different stories, obviously. And they're, you know, they're not always like home runs like that, but it kind of gave me a good taste of more than anything else, like the, the private lending process. Cause the next one, I actually borrowed the money so I can have it for myself instead of having to split the profits. And, um, you know, anything that you do, once you do it the first time, you realize it's not as scary as you thought it was going to be. So got me over that hump. Um, now, you know, fast forward, I definitely, I'm still a big advocate of partnerships. Um, although if you haven't done any deals yet, or if you haven't done partnerships, you know, just some words of advice is to, you know, check the, the reputation of your partner. I have had some partnerships that have gone south pretty bad. And it's because I didn't do my, my, uh, my homework on it. And I always got everything in writing. I mean, I don't care if it's your mom, like money changes people, they start acting weird. Uh, so it just helps you cover your ass. But, uh, but yeah, um, so now basically at this point, you know, I'm, I'm about three deals in, uh, I've become familiar with the private money process. So the other people's money, uh, I, and then I took a line of credit out on my primary residence. So what I would do is I would buy the house with my lender's money, and then I would do the rehab with my line of credit, sell the house or refinance if I was keeping it as a rental, pay it all back and do it all over again, just recycling that cash over and over. Um, <clears throat> and to this day, I haven't spent a dime of my own money, to be honest. Um, so I already told you guys how I find the leads at this time. Um, I was going on the county assessor website and then I would cross-reference that with uh, like Zillow because we all know sellers love their estimates. And so I knew I wanted to go into that meeting like ready with whatever bullshit they're gonna give me about their estimate. And so um, I do that, I would check their social media profiles and I would do a background check on them. And the reason I would do that is because I kinda wanna see if there's something that has happened recently in their life like a divorce, or something like that. I'm divorced. I went through a foreclosure with my divorce. And so that to me helped give me common ground with these people. And so uh, um, I rather than I think I think a lot of people when they go in to buy someone's house like that, they kind of take the approach of like going and scrutinizing the house to make the seller feel like it's just not worth anything just so they can get it as cheap as possible. And there are people that do that. For me, I kind of wanted to spend more time just, again, finding common ground with them and talking with them. Like there was some that I just spent hours just talking with them about stuff that I don't care about, but it's important to them. And to this day, all the deals that I've done that are pre-foreclosures, not a single time, well, one, that Adam, Adam Street House, but there was one time, but everything else, like people typically aren't just like lazy and don't pay their mortgage. It's like a death, a divorce, a sickness, um, and that is important. It's an important part of their story because um, there's a lot of shame that comes with foreclosure. I, I, 
I got divorced. I went through a foreclosure too. And I wish I had known back then that you can, you can do what I do now for people. And so I wanted to make sure that people, for one, didn't feel shame for the, condition, for the situation they were in. But I also used it as an opportunity to educate them on the process because a lot of people just kind of get uh, scared and they put their, their head in the sand and don't do anything about it. And so I would come in and uh, even if you don't sell to me, at least you know what the process looks like. You know how much, about how much time you have and maybe you can develop a plan even if it doesn't include me. Um, so just some tips on like what I do when I purchase a house. Uh, what I would do is I would send out the handwritten, the, the letter itself isn't handwritten, it's typed out, but like the envelope, I would always, I kind of experimented with this and I figured out that when I would handwrite the name and the address on the front of the envelope, I was getting a lot more response rates with that. But then the actual letter itself was typed up and I had the typical stuff like we, you know, as is, all that crap. But um, the inserts is what for me, I really, once I started putting these inserts in, I really found that I was getting a much better response from people because I wasn't just some random guy reaching out to them like, hey, I want to buy your house because that just seems opportunistic. When people know that they're being, you know, kind of like sold. They don't want to work with you anymore. And I found that if people like you, they, they're a lot more likely to do business with you. So I included this insert and I hope you guys can see it well enough here, but <clears throat> it's kind of cheesy, but it worked. So there's a lady all stressed out. It's like, oh, my home, my home is in default. What do I do now? And so on the back of it, um, it's kind of hard to read. But on top, it just says about us. It just says kind of about my company, Catalyst Holdings, you know, what we do, what our mission statement is, um, how I found their information. People don't realize that this stuff is public. And when they find out it's public, they get really embarrassed. So I would um, just put them at ease, like, hey, this stuff is public. I found it. This is how I found it. Um, but on the bottom half, uh, what I do, it says on there, like, what's the, what's the foreclosure process look like? And in my experience, I feel like when you... Uh, provide value to people, uh, they're a lot, they just, their defenses just go down. Because again, it's not just me just trying to just take advantage of your situation. And I have a detailed breakdown of the foreclosure process with timelines and ideas of like, okay, if I'm contacting you now, you're pretty much about at least six months behind on your, on your, uh, on your mortgage. You've got about 90 days-ish until like an, an auction date is set, and this is kind of what happens. The sheriff will drag you out if you, whatever. And so this worked two purposes. One, it uh, educated them on the process because, again, they would typically put their heads in the sand and not do anything about it. And then two, um, it put a little bit of pressure on them. Like, hey, like you don't have a ton of time to figure something out. Like, I don't know, you know, you may not have a plan, but... If you don't, the sheriff will come and pull you out. So, you know, do something. Uh, so that's, that, that worked really, really well for me. Um, <clears throat> yo. No, so it was just about me. It was like, I'm Dan Delgado. I'm, uh, you know, I live in Lincoln. I, and just kind of just like, and, and ultimately my goal is to uh, help my community by helping people with these problems, these sellers or these homeowners out of these problems. And a lot of it is just taken from my experience on a foreclosure. And I've never once, you know, been told like, oh God, you took advantage of me. It's always like, I've gotten flowers, I've gotten gifts and stuff afterwards because it's just a really shitty situation to be in if you've never been in it. And so it was just kind of like that. Just kind of, just making you relatable, I guess. Um, and door hangers, this thing, I've gotten like, four deals out of door hangers. So what I do is every time I buy a property, whether I'm gonna rent it out, burr it, or, or flip it, 
I made these door hangers. Don't judge the picture because it's old and like 40 pounds ago, but that's the front. And what I love about it is that on the front, I put just sold. And I, and I go to every house on that house's block and the house across. And if I get you know, a little ambitious, I might go a little bit further. But um, I just put it on there and I just walk around the, the, that part of the neighborhood. And so what happens is the people show up and they see just sold on their house. They're like, what the fuck? Like, I didn't sell my house. And so then they turn it around and it's like, hey, I'm Dan. And I, well, I don't say I'm Dan. I'm just saying, hey, we just purchased a home on your street. You'll, notice in a few, you'll, you'll be noticing a few new faces coming and going from the property as we do some renovations and updates. I don't say what house. I just say I have a house on your street because you also don't want to let them know there's vacant houses there. And I say, we promise to keep it down and not disturb you in the, or get in your way. If any of my contractors become a hassle, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I don't give a shit what the contractors do. Obviously, they're not going to be working at midnight. They'll be working during the day when they're at work anyway. But it makes me look like a nice guy. And, you know, it, it, it gives me exposure that I'm in the neighborhood. I'm beautifying your neighborhood. They have my contact information. I think I've gotten at least three or four deals off that because people were just like, oh, hey, my niece wants to sell her house or whatever the case is. So if I had to rate, this would be my second best marketing little trick if I had to, to rank them. So... Maybe think about that for you, you guys. <clears throat> um, the first best marketing ploy has been my podcast. Um, so I'm sure a bunch of you know I was I was uh, co-hosting a podcast. Um, it's no longer in production as of recently, but uh, that has bringing me has brought me the the most um, attention I should say in terms of establishing myself as someone that is an expert or at least an authority in this field. And I've gotten, I think since I started it pretty, I just stopped, well, for one, COVID shut down all my foreclosure stuff. There were no more foreclosures. And so 2020, I know, was like one of the best years for a lot of investors that I know. And it was the worst year for me. I don't think I did a single deal, like you probably would know, but I don't think I did a single deal in 2020. Uh, it was pretty shitty. And I, I debated like, am I, you know, how do I get out of this? What am I gonna do? So in 2021, uh, when I decided to go ahead and launch this podcast, all of a sudden, just like hockey stick, like everything just started just skyrocketing. I'm not saying start a podcast. It's a lot of work. Um, but for me at the time, I clearly wasn't doing anything else. So I was like, hey, I might as well do this. And so it's worked out really, really well. And I'll, and I'll go into the podcast stuff here a little bit more. Um, I also do referral fees. Uh, so if anyone brings me a property that is not listed on Zillow or with an agent, uh, I pay them $1,000 cash at closing. Um, I don't know. I paid 2000 out last week alone just for that stuff. Um, so uh, it's worked out pretty well. There's, uh, there's people that have given me several um, just throughout my, my time doing this. Um, I have mailmen that send me addresses of houses on their routes that are just crappy, like grass is overgrown, the roof looks bad. I've got guys that work for foundation companies that they'll go work or they'll go like do an estimate and it's like a $30,000 repair. And the homeowner's like, oh, I can't pay for that. Like, well, I know a guy who'll buy it. Boom, he's got 30 grand, and I give him the work to fix it. Um, so, you know, a lot of these industries can complement what you're doing. So kind of, I realized, okay, look, I can't do these foreclosures anymore. What else can I do to really start getting leads again? And yeah, it cost me $1,000, but that's like nothing. And so, and it also motivates them to kind of keep those leads coming in. And yeah, you know, you get one out of 100 maybe, but whatever, that one that they get, all they're doing is sending you an address and, Sometimes they have the contact information, that's great, but typically 
if I know it's something like that, um, it works out really great. Uh, neighbor tours. So pre-COVID, uh, when I had a house finished, uh, all those neighbors that I went and dropped off those door hangers to, I would drop off invitations. They'd be like, hey, this house is going to be listed such and such day. The night before, I'd like to invite you to come over, take a look at what all the ruckus was about. I'd have a buddy of mine bartend. I'd have some food there. Um, again, another great way to get deals. Uh, people, you know, especially on that same street, they know something's going on. And people are super just nosy. Just work on that. Like, they want to see what you did in there. Um, and that's worked out really, really well, too, um, to get other referrals. Uh, <clears throat> here, let me show uh, Yeah, I showed you the door hangers. Uh, and then lastly, on the marketing side, I think one thing that I've really done to make sure that my I've, 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 uh, I've come up with a standard of what I want my properties to look like. I know there's a lot of flippers that just want to get in, get out, and just sell it for whatever you can and just make a buck. Uh, that's not me at all. And if that is you, that's okay. You know, there's some people that can like really work on that type of system. For me, there was one, uh, my very first partnership that I tried to form was with a contractor. The deal was, hey, you do the work at your contractor cost. Um, so I don't have to pay you up front and we'll split the profits 50-50 on the back end. It seemed to be like a great, great idea. And he, I mean, I've never seen work like so bad. Like, I mean, like a high school shop student could have done better. It was just so bad. And so it was a good experience too because I had to fire him. But part of the conversation when I went to the house, because I wanted to meet him face to face to talk about specifically why I'm firing you, but also I... I reiterated to him, like, this is my brand. You know, the way these toilets are installed is my brand. The way this crappy trim is installed is my brand. The way this house is painted is my brand. I don't want someone two years later coming to me, giving me any sort of problems about the product that I sold them. And so I want to make sure that my, if my name ever comes up, it's because they're referring me to their family member or their friends. And so I urge everybody here to think, you know, what is my brand? What are you representing? You yourself are your brand. Um, again, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm a big marketing nerd, and so there, you can go a lot deeper with that. But I would urge you to at least just kind of consider what is it that you're that you're selling, and um, I think it'll give you a lot of uh, good insight on, you know, where to go. Um, I basically, I think that's it. That's, that wasn't very long. I thought it would go longer, but uh, <laughs> I guess so. Here's my contact information. It's my cell phone number, my personal cell phone number. Uh, if you guys have your phone, you can put that QR code. It'll take you to my website. Uh, the website is in development. And so um, you can have just set up your email. I will talk a little bit about the podcast stuff. Um, like I said, the one that I was doing before is no longer in production. Oh, probably get out of your way. Uh, but um, I will be publishing two more. They're in production right now. I'm doing my, all my recordings. Um, so the first one, and this will be great for you newbies, uh, yeah. It's called Zero Down Real Estate Investing. Guess what it's about? Zero Down Real Estate Investing. So this will be a short form podcast that will be released twice a week, about 8 to 12 minutes, where I just take a simple topic about real estate investing with no money down and talk about it, break it down. I'll be breaking down a lot of deals, um, a lot of analysis on how to, on how to uh, analyze properties. Um, so I think this, again, this will be really great for, for any uh, new people that are just starting or maybe they want to you know, get, get into it here pretty soon. <clears throat>
The other one is called Wealth Conscious. That one is a long form podcast where I'll be interviewing entrepreneurs. Um, it's a holistic view at wealth building and the entrepreneurial journey. So it's more than just like, oh, I want to make a million dollars. Like, yeah, that's great. But like, what are you doing to help your community? What are you doing to help your family? What's your background? You know, do you have generational trauma that you've gone that you had to uh, get above to to um, to build the wealth that you're doing right now? Uh, some of you guys in the room have already been on it somewhere. Gonna be on it here pretty soon. So uh, be on the lookout for that. In the next couple of weeks, I should start public, uh, publishing those. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much what I got for you guys. I don't know if there's any questions. All right, back, back there. Uh, so the, the, the podcast, I'm recording it, I'm recording the video, so I'll put the video version up on YouTube. The audio version will be up on like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all that. Um, you'll be seeing a lot more of me here in the next couple of weeks on stuff. So if you didn't sign up for that, don't worry, you're going to see my freaking face soon. So anybody else, any other questions? Yeah, um, yeah, I guess I probably should have talked about that. Uh, so it's only been about three years, and I guess I didn't talk about it, but I quit my day job about two months ago. Um, I had been on the verge, like I got hate, I can't even tell you how much I hated IT. And so it was just so hard being there every single day. And uh, I decided to finally take the plunge slash kind of got fired. It kind of worked out like really, really well, it was weird. But um, I just took that as a sign that it's time to do it. And um, ever since then, I've been able to like really dedicate my time to, to my real estate investing. And it's just crazy because like within what the first month, like boom, 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 I just got like three houses and I got, you know, like it's just it's just nuts how how quickly things happen when you focus and you don't have any distractions. Like my day job was really, really good paying day job. But at the end of the day, it was an opportunity cost. And so I think once I got my mind right and realized that this is this is costing me more than it's making me. Yeah, it's like security. But um, I think one point in my uh, at my day job, I remember when my my first son was born a couple of years ago. I had like, I went into my boss's office because I reported like directly to the CFO. And I was like, hey, you know, my wife's due at this date, whatever. Would it be cool if I took like two weeks of PTO and then two weeks of just working from home? And so she had to sit there and like think about it for like a week. And I remember talking to my wife. I'm like, this is like bullshit. Like I got to ask to spend time with my wife and newborn baby. It's just stupid. And like, I, I was honestly, I was my, the only reason that I didn't quit then was because my wife would have killed me. But like, it was just like, it was a realization that I am not in control. Um, I'm at the mercy of what my boss wants, wants of me. And so that was really kind of the tipping point where it got really, really, really miserable for me. So um, since then, uh, when I left my job, actually my second son was born. He was only two weeks old at that point. And so this time though, my, you know, I've kind of was a lot more consistent. I've been doing a lot more deals. I'm at you know, a couple dozen at this point. Uh, I'm getting leads all the time. I have systems set up. So my wife was a lot more comfortable with me leaving and, uh, you know, trusting that I'm not going to friggin' have us living in a box somewhere. So, uh, so yeah, so that's where I'm at now. Um, I have recently decided that I no longer want to hold any single family properties. Uh, I've, I've taken an interest in, in large multifamily. And so I'll be selling my, my single family rentals uh, and deploying all my flip money into large multifamily which is a different animal. And to be honest, you know, it scares the shit out of me, but I've kind of taken that mentality that if it scares me, I want to do it. And so that's, that's where I'm going now.
yeah, uh, since I started, the majority of them have been since the podcast, to be honest. Like, that's kind of where it just, boom, we just started, like, going up. Three of the first year, and none in, like, 2020 to, like, the first quarter of 2021, like, nothing. And then that's just kind of just went up. But, yeah, it's been it's kind of crazy how, like, how that trajectory, it doesn't, you know, take a ton for that train to get moving. But once it does, like, now, obviously, I don't do pre-foreclosures anymore. And now everything I do has been referrals um, just from people I know. Like, I, and anybody who knows me knows I'm not super active on social media, although I should be. But when I do, like, um, when I quit my day job, I put a post on on Facebook about it. And I just like announced like, hey, this is what I'm, I'm doing it full time now. And I got a deal from that because I had a friend who's a, who's a traveling nurse and she has a, a, a house in Lincoln that she didn't want anymore. So uh, bought her house, it took like a week. Like it was just such a quick process. And then within a couple of days of closing on that one, her cousin called me because she had, because the girl had such a great experience with me that she referred her cousin to me. And then I just bought that other house a week and a half ago. And so like, it's just, again, I think word of mouth is the best type of marketing you can have. And if you can kind of develop that, like I said, that's, that's where the podcast for me. And, and, and to be honest, like, and it's not completely selfish. Uh, my goal is to really provide value to people. I want to show people that you can build wealth. Like, I never, ever imagined um, doing anything but, like, working some shitty job and just kind of just making, just barely making, making it. And so now I have an abundance mentality. And I really don't feel like there's any sort of limits to what I can do. It just depends on, you know, how much action I take. And so I think, um, you know, I really want to get that out to people. And the, the content that I'll be putting out is all going to be free. I'm not going to charge for, for like coaching. Or, I mean, I guess I, I'm not even going to take people to be coaches to them yet. But, uh, but the content that I put out, I really just want to give people value and help them see that there's more to life than, you know, what we're taught. So, any other questions, guys? My rentals? Yeah, so, um, so the, the first rental I got was an interesting one. I kind of broke a lot of rules on that one. So, the, the people that sold me the house were, under, were in pre-foreclosure. They were part of, like, a predatory lending type thing from the bank. And so essentially they had the house for about 15 years and then all of a sudden their, their rate went up some crazy amount and they were making their mortgage payments, but it wasn't enough to cover everything anymore. So then they get a, a notice of default all of a sudden and they, were, uh, they didn't realize that they were in foreclosure. They had no way of catching up. And so I reached out to them and again, spent like, I think you met that lady. I was like hour, hours talking to that lady. And so, um, you know, I was able to, uh, the house was a, was a two bed, one bath, just like on North 25th street, like nothing fancy, but I was able to, again, they, a lot of times with pre foreclosures, they'll just sell it to you for what, what is owed on it. Um, it just depends on the situation. But in that case, that was one of those. And so I think we got it for like 60, 62 or something like that and, uh, locked it down and then refinanced it. It was only like 67. So I didn't make like a ton of money on it, but that difference when you when you burr a property like that, it's a tax-free event. So you're not paying taxes on that because obviously it's a loan. It's not, um, but you know you can take that money and keep it as as just kind of like a rainy day for that house. But uh, and they're actually still living it. They've been really great tenants. Um, that house actually I have purchased for my daughter. So instead of a college fund for her, that house is hers. So when she's ready for college, that house will either get sold or she can rent it out or she can have roommates, whatever she wants to do. But 
I'm not putting money into a college bank account to earn point, whatever the hell they're doing these days. Um, and then um, the other rental that I got was for my two-year-old, same, same concept. Uh, that one was actually from the podcast too. Um, I purchased the property at 100000 after the owner had already like done a bunch of renovations to it. And again, it was the type of situation where he just wanted to get rid of it. He saw my, or he had heard the podcast, reached out to me. I purchased it. I think we closed on a Wednesday and I had an appraiser or that I was going to refinance it like immediately because I found a bank that wasn't going to put a seasoning period on it. And it appraised for 151000 like the very next week. Uh, so I still have it, but if, you know, uh, I will probably be selling that one. But um, it just kind of goes to show you how, how much power and leverage you can have by not putting any of your own money into these deals. Yes, you know, it's not as cheap as a bank, but I don't know many people that can go from, you know, a Monday of putting a, a house under contract to a Tuesday closing on that house, all cash. And, and in, I, I believe, you know, I don't think cash is king, but in the real estate market where people are buying on the retail market, they love cash. And so, um, you know, private money to me has been super, super helpful. It's really what's, what's helped, you know, my trajectory. Because if I was waiting, I mean, my credit's good now, but shit, I had a foreclosure when I was 25. I mean, it took a long time. And so I, I didn't, that wasn't even an option at the time. So, um, you know, I think with, with, with what I do, it's not for everybody. Uh, there is a lot of risk in it. There is a lot of expense involved in it. But if you, if you buy right, if you run your numbers right, uh, it's such a great tool. So talk to Josh about that a little bit more. <laughs> Anybody else? Uh, so I, it's, you know, on, on paper, I'm a one man show. Uh, I've had a lot of trial and error with partnerships. Um, I always tell my wife, if I was ever to stop investing, it's because of dealing with contractors. Um, it's, it's not, and it's not, not necessarily their fault of their own. I know everybody's really busy right now. A lot of contractors are really good at what they do, but they're not great at the business side, at the communication side and, you know, responding and being on time with things. And so that, that to me is, is like one of my pet peeves. And so, um, so I, right now by myself, I am sourcing all my deals. I am doing all the, the walkthroughs. I'm doing all the, the, the offers and everything on it. Uh, I do have a couple of really, really good people now that together they can pretty much take care of anything I need. Um, I don't buy any houses that need like really, really heavy rehabs. Um, so it's basically me and a couple trustworthy, dependable contractors now that are that we've been able. That's honestly the only reason that I even have the the confidence now to go buy more houses because there was a, a little while there where I was having a lot of bad luck with contractors. Where I was like, shit, I don't even want any more houses because I don't. I'm not gonna have them sit forever and pay interest on them for nothing. But like I said, with finding these these people, um, now I have, you know, no no uh, no problems with finding or with going, you know putting anything under contract that I that comes my way now. Anybody else? Yeah. I only kept two rentals. Everything else I've flipped. Yeah. I've, uh, yeah, so initially, and I don't know if it's an official thing or how you do it or not, but 
initially, it was just the actual purchase price of the property, and then I would use the HELOC to do the rehab. Um, so let's say I buy a house for $100,000, or the actual house is going to cost $100,000. I would use private money to buy the house because I need that, that speed. I mean, everybody who does real estate, like speed or time is money. Like it, it, there's nothing more valuable in real estate investing than time. And so I utilize the private money to get the house locked down as quickly as I can. I don't want them backing out on me. I want no problems you know, with the closing. And then I would use my line of credit, which was a pretty good size line of credit at that point. And either I would, at that point, I was doing the rehab myself. So it was really just like materials and that type of thing. But you know, some of them, I think the most I've done on my own was like a $40,000 rehab. And so, um, so I would use the line of credit for that. And so my line of credit is interest only. So it's 1% of the principal that I'm using. So if I use $40,000, I'm paying $400 a month, but I'm using the line of credit to pay the line of credit. And then at the end of the day, when I go you know, do my expenses, I'm writing all that off as part of the, of the, of the, uh, the rehab. Um, and then you know, if it's a burr or if it's a flip, whatever the case is, at sale, I pay off the private money. And then I take that money, pay my HELOC back off, and now it's free for me to use on the next deal again. I don't do that anymore. I don't need to. Now I just take out all the money that I need for everything. Uh, just because I think, you know, I've established a relationship that's trustworthy to where we can do that. And I just don't want to use my own money. I kind of take pride in not using my money. It's kind of weird. I don't know why, but uh, I just like not using it. I, I could probably like just have like a freaking net worth of like $50 million and probably still use other people's money. So this is my thing, I guess. Yeah. That answer your question? All right. Hit me up though if you ever want to learn more about it. All right. Powerful man. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Handsome guy in the corner. I mean, I, there's some that trickled in somewhere in there, yeah. I hated, hated IT so much. I was like, what do I need to do? Like, I don't care if I got to go dance on a pole. Like, I need to get the hell out of IT. Like, I hated it so much. I mean, <laughs> but like, you know, I, I bartended, I, I, I mean, from age 16 to, let's see, 34, I've always worked two jobs. And the second job was always bartending. And so I always told people, like, I worked in the two worst industries, our bartender back there will appreciate this, two worst industries for people. You deal, you deal with, like, the worst of people when you're bartending and when you're working IT. And so I'm just like, I, I love bartending to be honest. Like I only gave it up because my wife wanted me to, but like I, you know, I would probably still be doing that cause it's fun. But, um, but yeah, the IT, honestly, like the, the amount of hatred I had for doing what I was doing and I wasn't good at anything. Actually, I wasn't even good at IT to be honest, but like, you know, I, like I said, it was just a, such a secure job. And so that really is what kind of kept motivating me. Like, I got to get away out of this. I got to. And Josh, for like two years, like you were telling me, dude, just quit. Just stop, you know. And I couldn't. But I mean, not I just I couldn't. I just wouldn't. But, but yeah, so that's, that's really what kept that, that fire lit for me. And I honestly, like, God, it's the best move I've ever made now. So I don't want to tell anybody who's working nine to five quit because that's irresponsible. But yeah, it'll be feel nice when you do. Anybody else?
You're right. Uh, we're about to find out. There's a lot of people that are about to get weeded out of this process. I think, you know, it's uh, on the podcast we had uh, Tony Goins. He's the uh, head of economic development for the state of Nebraska on there. And he had one of the best things to say that I've ever heard on the podcast. And he said that it's, it's easy to look smart when things are going well. Uh, and I think we're, we're in that right now and we're, we're, we're heading out of it. I think the next few months are really going to start to show like who's, who's really, who really knows what they're doing. And I'll, you know, I'll bet a lot of these meetups are going to get a lot smaller um, because a lot of people are going to get weeded out. Um, so yeah, there's, I mean, for every one successful real estate investor, there's probably a hundred that have failed and, or that just stopped trying. Um, you know, it's hard. It's not, like HDTV makes it look so glamorous, but it's so much like there's shit. I've got five house, houses going right now. I will like, I don't like what, $700,000 that I'm paying interest on, you know? And it's just like, it gets, it gets really, really stressful, um, really, really fast. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, luckily so far, I haven't lost any money on deals. There was one house that took me seven months to flip and $40,000 of rehab and I made $7,000 on it. So that was just a total bust. At least I didn't lose money, but to me, that's a failure. So, anybody else? No? All right. Well, thanks, guys. I hope I provided some value to you. And uh, have a good night. <laughs>